Hey, welcome to another Sunday edition of Someone's Got to Tell These Tales. Today, for Sunday brunch, this is a Sunday brunch edition for those of you new to the podcast, I'm going to get into a subject that is a little different than what I usually talk about. I'm a big foodie, and yes, I do talk talk about food a lot, you guys know that, but I'm going to get into something that is kind of controversial. That is, I'm going to talk about gentrification. And um, in particular, since I'm in Florida, it's happening all over the country. I've written, um, I actually had a novel that I wrote about it. Oh, boy, it's been about 15 years. And I never published that, so I really probably shouldn't even talk about it. That's another thing that people got on me about not um, publishing my works. But I lost interest in it, and this was the beginning of, um, I guess, a time when everyone started discovering that cities were the place to be. They were now hip. Uh, We called the first wave of these new, they're hipsters now, but before that they were yuppies, and the yuppies were changing things. And so I dove into that. But recently... After becoming vegan um, and searching, I've I've shared my search here many times about looking for places to find the best food, the best restaurants. Um, One of my favorite areas in Florida, the Tampa-St. Pete area, has become like a beacon for some of the most innovative and the best vegan food. People think of Miami, but Miami tends to go a little all out, a little international, a bit more, um, I won't say high end, but because of the visitors that come there and the many people from around the world, they charge a little bit higher prices, whereas when you get into other parts of Florida, you may have that tourism. Central Florida does have a lot of tourism, but you also have... You also have these great places, and I won't call them undiscovered. It's not like people don't know about um, St. Petersburg, but they're rediscovering places that really are hometowns instead of the commercial-type Florida towns. Uh, In many places in Orlando now have gone, neighborhoods rather, have gone from being nice neighborhoods to basically vacation rentals. If you're unfortunate enough to buy into one of these places, I'm sorry for you because foreigners come and buy homes in Orlando, especially now. Orlando is a really hot market, one of the top in the nation. And people from all over the world are buying homes there for money, to make money so you've you could move into a new development and there will be no one that actually lives in Florida. And if you're one of the unfortunate ones who actually plans on living here, what you'll get is a a, a, a revolving door of people coming. And when people come on vacation, they're loud, they're partying, partying, they may have lots of children. It's no place to live and have any peace. 
If your home is your castle, you do not want to be in one of them vacation rental type places. So when I'm talking about Tampa St. Pete and gentrification, um, I'm not even going to concentrate on Tampa because Tampa is kind of different too. I'm going to give St. Petersburg its own its own um, category. And I'm going to note right up front that while I spent a lot of time in St. Pete, I enjoy going. I try to go often. In the past, I would think year or two, well, maybe two years or so, I haven't been as much just because of taking care of my mother. But it's still a place that, especially I'm, I'm, I'm about to visit again. And I was going to wait until I did visit again. But I'm I'm becoming a little concerned and concerned because even in my last trip, I watched as the city revitalized and um, there's not much parking in the downtown area. And being that it's designed for older uh, population, meaning that the streets and everything are laid out to be more quaint, and it really wasn't designed to handle the traffic and the kinds of crowds that come now. But, I mean, there because it's real estate was so cheap and now it's risen, of course, because now it's a hot area, you have the funkiest, quaintest little restaurants there that you would not believe, and every time I turn around, it's something new, and I had to put it back on my map. But by the same time, I know that there are people in these neighborhoods that are being forced out. And even if you don't sell, there are many, many, many people who don't want to sell. But once someone comes along, remodels a house in a neighborhood that's transitioning, maybe older people, and people that don't have much money that are renting, or um, homeowners who are just barely making it. They once once one group of people comes in and remodels, and all of a sudden that home becomes worth more. And especially, let me just get to the point. I'm going to just say it. Usually, what happens is in these neighborhoods of color, be they black or brown, but I'm going to talk about black neighborhoods. Um, you'll have uh, influx of people, and the very people who like to come into these neighborhoods are usually gay. It's usually gay males, but lesbians, and there's so many categories. Now, I'm not even going to go down the list. The LBDG, I can't even pronounce it, and there's no disrespect to anyone. I don't really know the letters um, anymore. They keep changing. And um, they'll come in, they'll revitalize the neighborhood, knowing that they're going to wait for a nice, sweet spot to sell. Most of these people have no intention of staying. Uh, they they fix up these homes and make them fabulous. I mean, let's not deny that, yeah, they made them great, but what they've also done is wiped out a culture. You have people that have lived in neighborhoods and have enjoyed a certain type of community and built something. And um, here come the new people. You know, they're all saying, there goes the neighborhood. Well, there goes the neighborhood in a different way in the terms of anyone that was living there before these people came in are now going to be displaced. 
and also, uh, as we call the high rent district, the younger people now, especially um, two groups, the millennials and say like the older people, the, the end of the baby boomers who are retiring, still youthful enough to travel and do different things. They're looking at these neighborhoods and they're looking at walkability to these quaint little cafes and entertainment and all that a city can afford them while still having a nice place to live. And um, it's really had an, a horrible effect on the black community. Um, I know for sure that many, 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 and those of you not familiar with the black community or segregation and you think that's part of history books, those of us that are still alive and we are no old hens or crones, we remember that it wasn't a black community anywhere that didn't have their own business districts and banks, things that we owned, owned, not rented, owned. And what happened was uh, desegregation and policing that wouldn't happen in the black communities. That's another thing, reason why people moved out. When younger people talk about we gave away everything, you have to understand that the black community wasn't policed and still isn't in the same way as other communities. So while you had everything, as time went on, the police really didn't want to police it, and you weren't really safe, so you were trying to move somewhere where you could be safe, and you did leave things behind. And in that time, black business owners, as they age, their kids haven't reaped the benefits of their hard work in owning businesses and being able to afford them college educations. Their kids became doctors and lawyers and professionals and government workers and um, didn't take over the family business, just like many folks in America have started out. The parents have a little mom-and-pop business, put their kids through school, and the kids aren't going to run that business most of the time. Very few family businesses make it to the next generation. We know that there are some special ones that are held dear in every community, but mostly not, and that's because as you become more successful, the education level of your kids become more um, geared towards other professions and not this one that grandpa started the general store. So in that respect, that's how we lost ownership of buildings, commercial, real estate in the black community. And once you lost ownership, those coming behind were leasing and when you lease, you're at the whim of your landlord to allow you to renew that lease for whatever many of years. And when they don't want to, when they see an opportunity coming, you're kicked out. So maybe a neighborhood that had that nice beauty salon for blacks, and we could get into that salon thing in a minute, um, on a different show rather, but um, beauty salons, bookstores, uh, soul food restaurants, different things that cater to the community. Once these new landlords came in and they were like, you know what, I can make more money with this, that, and the other thing. Just look at Harlem. I mean, there's uh, 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 Whole Foods and all kinds of other things up there now 
and I don't expect all of them to be black much longer because not saying that there aren't rich black people, but the cheapest brimstone you can get is like five, six out five or six million dollars. Who's got that kind of money to pay? So, you know, that culture that comes from living in these places and having a tight-knit community, so many things came out of these communities. Now, I'm no expert, since I'm talking about St. Petersburg, about St. Pete, but I I play in it all the time. I don't go to the beaches, but I'm a runner, so I tend to um, participate in a lot of races over in that area. I'm also a big foodie, so I'm over there for the restaurants and um, mostly the restaurants. Something new is always going on. And actually, I am a big baseball fan, but I haven't been to Trophy Field just because I don't like closed-in fields and um, my team doesn't come down too often. But um, it's not out the question that I would, and I, I heard they're going to do something with that stadium or rebuild that I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do, given all the things that are happening over there now. But let me go back a bit. Since I said I was going to talk about this, and I'm talking about communities of color, I wanted to, um, since I'm talking about the communities of color, I wanted to say that I myself have been late to the game in learning about Tampa's black community. Uh, Tampa, I'm sorry, St. Pete's black community. And I know a few few people who have relatives that are from that area. And I have to be honest, as I walk through the streets and enjoy many of the nice things that they have over there, I don't really see it. And I really had to go and search for these areas and talk to people about it. Because when someone said, hey, they were opening up the first, not the first, but the only soul food restaurant in years. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I just assumed they had some. And in recent years, there's been... um some famous soul food places. I think a Sylvia's branch opened. I don't know if that's still there, but I know that it was at one time. There's a black vegan restaurant. There's so many vegan restaurants from desserts and bakeries, uh, just all kinds, something for everyone. And this comes with serving a new clientele in the area. Now, St. Peter is not a predominantly black city. No way. And so I'm really talking about the entire city as far as racial makeup, but I'm talking about economics here. Those areas where people are a little pushed out, those areas where people had stopped moving because there was a little, they call them up-and-coming neighborhoods, right? When a neighborhood goes south and people start moving out, lower-income people start moving in because it's affordable. They try to make it their home. It may not be the best. 
and then it's discovered as a bargain. This is what gentrification looks like. And I know sometimes it's not done on purpose, and sometimes it is when it's big corporations that come in and want to make money and bulldoze things, and that tends to be a a West Coast thing. They've turned down um, neighborhoods that actually weren't low-income, but in high-rent markets like Seattle and Portland, and then they're building things because you can only build in certain areas, so that's really pinching people too. So like I said, it's a national thing, but within Florida, we're seeing this more in this area, St. Pete, than we are Say in my well, I won't even say Miami because uh, Liberty City and Little Haiti are under duress, and people keep saying it's coming back. But you can't come back if you don't own property. And most places there, they're at the mercy of their landlords, and that's my problem with gentrification because landlords are greedy. Yeah, they run a business, but they don't. If you're running a business and you have no interest in the community that you run that business, then you aren't good for the community. And what are these new residents doing? They talk about they want to be part of something, but what you find in most of these places are people who have different norms and different values, different, different cultural heritages, and they don't appreciate where they moved and the people that are already there. And a prime example, I'm going to have to go up up north a bit to the borderline south in D.C., and uh, we have a big problem. Howard University, which is a historically black university, and the surrounding neighborhood, Shaw, which is also used to be a predominantly black neighborhood, we call D.C. was called Chocolate City for a reason. It was predominantly black. And um, you have these um, people who moved in who aren't black, who aren't, you know, there's all kinds of people because it's D.C. are moving. They are nationalities who didn't really respect the neighborhood, complained about the go-go music. And for those of you that don't know, Chuck Brown is the father of that. And that rose out of D.C. and that particular neighborhood. And it's a tradition to play that music. Most of the shops now are gone, but there is still one shop that's there. There was a big fallout because the white neighbors were complaining that the music was too loud and it was gone. That music's been going for since the 80s, maybe the 70s. I can't remember a time, and I grew up in the area where it wasn't playing and you have people coming on to the Howard University campus, walking their dogs, letting their dogs defecate all over the place. You don't do that on private property. And you aren't, that's a, Howard University is a private university. You are welcome onto their campus if you respect it. But people were coming onto their campus and not respecting it. Um, Harvard and Yale, even Johns Hopkins, they're all surrounded by, well, Johns Hopkins used to be. Hopkins 
the university, the hospital, and all of that basically brought out Baltimore City on the east side and destroyed the neighborhoods. I mean, the neighborhoods had gone south, but Baltimore is a city of neighborhoods. And when you buy out things and bring in people who aren't even there, you kill a city. And that's what's happened to Maryland in Baltimore and what's happening in D.C. with gentrification. Now, Florida is a little different. And I say that because it's such a transient state where people are moving here in droves. Florida's hot. It's always been hot. And in fact, and that's no pun intended, but more people are moving to Florida now than ever. And I see us having a water crisis. Really, there's too much traffic, not enough water. Not a, We have more land than we have infrastructure to hold up to. We're going to need water. The state is going to have a flooding problem. We're surrounded by water. We have no plans for the rising sea levels. And being a red state, everyone's in denial about global warming. So you figure that out. Tampa, St. Pete, low-lying area. Lots of flooding in the area. That's another thing for people moving there. They need to consider that it does flood a lot over in that area. And um, beyond that, and I know I'm I'm kind of babbling around and using different places, but for me, the intersection of community between the community of color and gay communities, the gay lesbian community, it's a huge one. And I'll tell you this, because you can say all you want to about being a minority and being an oppressed group, even if you are part of that LBD, um, um, LBGT community, you still have your white privilege. We do have such things as log cabin Republicans, which are gay Republicans, and gay white male Republicans. And I wouldn't put it past a few Negroes to be into that um, as well, but that's basically what it is. Um, and um, so no one has to know that you're gay. And you can still walk the streets with all the impunity of what that white privilege affords you. So as whites move into these areas of color, they bring that privilege with them. Now, I have nothing against people moving to any neighborhood, but I often feel like people don't want to be part of the community. They just want to form a new community with no respect to what's there. Uh, some communities, when it's not about color, just about community, have formed these historic preservation areas, which is kind of worse. It may be good because you are saving an area, but not everyone, including white people, can afford to live in one of these areas because then you have to really seek 
so many permits and permissions to fix your house up. And within that, it has to be to the standards that it will retain its historic flavor. It's not something that you could go into lightly, and it's not it's not cheap to to live in a house that's a historic landmark in a historic district for sure. And that's not for the weak of heart. You're going to put some money into it. You're going to have to have the ability to have the money to pay for all of these renovations and keeping with the aesthetics of how the structure, whatever it is, was originally built. But I I often hold gays accountable because they come off with this appropriating the civil rights movement and things that blacks have worked for. And I'm going to say blacks. I'm no longer saying community of color because, to be quite honest with you, many communities of color that are not black, and I'm not talking about the black diaspora because we can get into that too, do not respect the black community enough to stand with them. While blacks fight for everyone and we're including everyone, we can still be oppressed by other communities of color. And that's the truth. When you don't have that respect. And I'm from a multiracial family and I tell my Asian relatives, this. You know, I have a grandfather who's an immigrant and a great-grandfather who's an immigrant from two different sides of the world. My Asian grandfather and my grandfather who's Creole with Dominican and Haitian blood, um, And by the way, the island of Hispaniola, those people are basically relatives. They can fight all they want to about both sides of the border, but two distinct cultures, but cousins, really. That's just exactly what it is. Um, When you have people who clash and who won't sit down and respect or hear each other, enough to respect. You get these clashes. And as I see people moving into areas, and I say, I wonder what attracted them to them, to the area. And most of the responses you get are the things I talked about. The community has so many amenities and walkability and all the things you really look for and value. You want a house, someplace to live that is of value because who knows, you do, you might want to sell again. You want to live somewhere nice. Everyone wants to live somewhere safe. There's no such thing as completely safe anywhere, even in the best of neighborhoods because they're expensive thieves to prey on the rich. So, so much for being safe. Um, But I'm trying to get to the point of, I know we can't stop gentrification. 
what are we going to do with the people who are displaced? Because in California, they're living in tents. They're living in broken down RVs. They're living in their cars. It's a health problem because, I mean, you have to have some way to keep yourself clean and use facilities, and there are none. So if there are none, people are going in on the sidewalks. They're going on them. What little strips that you can't call it the woods, but in bushy areas or whatnot, and that's you just can't have that. You would have some kind of outbreak, and um, I think that problem is moving to the east coast as tech businesses start to move to Florida. We have the space coast on one side with lots of techies coming, uh, with um. The Orlando area, I'm just talking about in this I-4 corridor that runs from Tampa all the way over to the Space Coast. Well, actually, it runs to Daytona, but if you push it out towards the beaches in Daytona, you've got a corridor that um, is basically a biomedical, biotech hotbed right now. And you've got all this new money coming in. But the average wages in Florida were still like minimum wage jobs or jobs that pay 9 or $10. And only recently since Disney was forced, and I do mean forced, to pay $15 an hour to a lot of their workers, have many people started to jump ship from these places and try to get over to Disney. And that has caused... Um, many in the service industry to try to scramble and catch up. Some of them say they can't. But let me tell you something. You can barely make it with rent at about $1,200 for something small. And we're just talking one bedroom in Florida. That from a place that really you could have gotten a two-bedroom for six dollars and $700 just a few years ago is is tremendous because that means that most people now will be working to pay their rent and nothing else. When you have to take 90% of your pay, and some people really, that's not even 90% of their pay. $1,200 may be something they don't make. You make, I think, I don't know what it is, maybe $15 an hour will get you about 1200 a month. You still got to take out taxes. Uh, you, If you have a car, you've got car insurance, car payment, if you're, unlucky, maybe if you're lucky you have a car that's paid for, you'll have um, electric to pay, other things that are not luxuries, but things you have to pay. You're not going to pay it out of that, so that means that if you're making that amount, you might as well live with someone, stay at home, live with your parents if you can, or take in roommates, or just have tons of family squeezed in like some third world country, into a shack or whatever to meet these goals. So some wages are going to have to go up. I've seen many businesses close saying that they can't find good workers. Well, you're not going to find good workers if you're going to pay paltry salaries. And don't tell me that cooking is an entry-level job. Yes, I'm a chef. But a chef comes as a management position. People think of chefs that cook. Yes, they are chefs that cook, but it's still a manage. That's what distinguishes a chef from a cook. 
you actually don't need a degree to be a chef. But in today's world, you need a piece of paper to be everything. But you do need management skills, and that's the difference. And even as a cook, people, this is a career. It is a profession. If you're a professional cook, you are working your behinds off. You're working every day. You're working holidays, and you need to be paid. And so when you have these new restaurants, fancy restaurants moving in, and they're charging all these high prices because the new people have moved in, and you want to pay your cooks, your dishwashers, your waitresses, minimum wage for the waitresses. Maybe if you're lucky, a cook will get $12. Who's going to work for you? You're going to have to come. And if your restaurant makes millions in a year, pay the damn staff. And this is what causes so much, so many people to look at those that are coming and gentrifying the area as the bad person. Now, I don't blame someone who enjoys a place. Many people like New Orleans, but come on, you took advantage of people down in New Orleans. Once they were flooded out, the banks didn't even really give too much money, if any, to those poor people who had owned their homes but didn't have any money left to come build back up. Then people from all over the country, young white millennials and other people who decided, oh, I'd like to live there, moved in, and you basically displaced a culture and a way of life that is world-renowned and known. Black hands stirred the pots in those Creole kitchens. And let me tell you something. They always talk about the Cajuns and how they came down from Arcadia and this and that. There were black hands stirring. There are black Creoles. There are black Cajuns. And trust me, African hands have influenced both cuisines to the highest, and you can trace a lot of those things back to Africa. There are people who study it and do. I'm a culinary historian as well. I don't know enough about my culture, and that is part of my culture. And that's why I study it and try to sit at the feet of people who know. I would like to know more. And um, I'll be doing an exclusive podcast series on that later. But my point being is this. When I when you talk about gentrification, you're not only talking about being displaced in homes, in businesses, but in culture and ways of life. You change the dynamics of the city. And we try to look at who's to blame. And there's enough blame to go around. And I don't blame the people moving in as much as I blame the folks in city government who for years neglected these areas until they totally fell apart, did not have a plan for redevelopment, and when they did, it did not benefit the people who were there, meaning I'll give you an example. In Baltimore, when things start falling apart in Baltimore, they had these $1 row houses. 
you could buy the house for one dollar, but within a year you had to start remodeling and rebuilding. Well, everyone has a dollar, most people, but all the things you had to go through with getting permits and doing those renovations was very expensive. Very few people living in the community could. Even the people who owned their home couldn't. And you had, I didn't see any Habitat for Humanity, which they should have hooked up with Habitat for Humanity, where people work on building their own homes. They could have bought who knows how many homes for one dollar and fixed them up and kept people in these communities. When you own something, you take better care of it than when you rent. When it's someone else's, you want to tear it up. And um, when you've worked to build something, you at least don't want to tear it down because your own hands built it. It would have been a good idea. But instead of having people who mattered and who would be affected at the table, you have these suit and tie types who don't live in the area, who are all about their ego and what kickbacks they get. And that created that rolling ball, you know, a a rolling, a rock, (laughs) excuse me, that they claim doesn't gather moss. But let me tell you something. It's gathering a lot of things on its way down this hill. That created an opening for entrepreneurs, and I'll say, what should I call them, homepreneurs, to come in and do this. So now we have the new residents coming in, uh, very nice people who have the ability to keep up their property and good neighbors coming in. They haven't seen all this. To them, this is a new city. It's wonderful. And when they see the folks that used to live in that part of town, they're calling the police saying, I saw so-and-so and so-and-so. And these people are saying, look, I've come to this park forever. I grew up here. This is the neighborhood I grew up in. You might be living in the house they grew up in. You just never know. So it creates a lot of tension. And like I said, the tension is about politics. The tension is about the way this country has dealt with racism. And Florida may not seem like the South. It's in the South, but not of the South, as we like to say, but it's truly the South. You have a lot of people that are what we call outsiders. And as a matter of fact, now some people, the really um, hardcore ones, say foreigners, and they're not referring to people from other countries. They're referring to people who may be Yankees, Midwesterners, especially people from California, the West Coast. Um, so you got all kinds down here and um, a lot of separation. Um, but there are quite a bit in the St. Pete area of festivals and art art festivals, really, and things that um, have longstanding traditions in the community that I often go to. And um, so in a way, this building up and reimagining themselves and coming back to life again is good. But I do wonder, and the reason I wonder is always having been an activist, 
and I may not, I've been in a few organizations that turned out to be um, bus. I won't name them, but um, truly, I think that if people of color, especially black people, if we really want something, we have to stand alone for ourselves because you just don't find it in a lot of organizations that claim to be for everyone. And um, I just see it this way, that if if people can't talk across the board, the table to each other, then nothing ever gets resolved. And I think that there's a big unspoken rift that comes up along the lines of the gay community and the black community. Because there's even a rift within the gay community of white and non-white gays. The community has always reflected society, and so those with privilege have always had the greatest voice. Just look at um, gay white males um, with this drag and the houses. That came out of black culture. Stonewall, those rebelling in Stonewall, they were led by black black people, uh, black queens. I'm told drag queens, and um, but you would never know when everyone talks about Stonewall. You want to talk about whitewashed? I very rarely have heard the accounts, and when I found out who the true rebellers were, who who the forefront people were in the forefront, who said, "Oh, we've had enough of this." I um I I can't say I was shocked. Also, there's an area in um the St. Pete area, Gulfport. It's 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 a highly gay area. I won't say highly gay, but I know I've known it is a hotbed for um gays and lesbians for a long time. And um I think they used to even have a Gulfport women's festival or something like that. Um, I can't think of it now, but I used to go to so many festivals there. And um, I really didn't see too much diversity then, come think of it. I've got to be honest. I have been slack because I'm so used to going to things and not seeing diversity that while I notice it, it's not a big thing to me. And what I I now regret is not really thinking about what if there's no one around who can tell you these things. I don't know. All I know is this, is that I'm going to be visiting St. Pete uh, probably in the next month or so. And I wanted to hit on this, and I've crisscrossed across many areas, and I'm going to be interviewing people as I go. And I wanted to do this as a prelude because as a foodie, I will be eating. I don't drink alcoholic beverages, but I will be eating and getting my um, non-alcoholic beverage drink on. When I go, I'm looking forward to all the new restaurants and all the new things to do. I um I don't tend to go to the beach a lot. 
but I am looking forward to um, hitting some museums and and just having a good time and hopefully finding parking spaces. Um, and as I go about collecting my my um, information and enjoying myself, I'm going to be looking around and thinking, um, what, if anything, has changed? And what are the positives, along with the negatives, about it? But one, the one thing I can say that I don't know if there's anything good or bad in gentrification. Neighborhoods have been, um, and do we call we call it gentrification now? But when blacks moved into a neighborhood and it was white flight, it really wasn't a gentrification in terms of kicking people out with nowhere to go. People left of their own accord. So um, that was different. And that has always been how people in America have moved on up and out of places. But now we're seeing this reverse trend that we haven't seen before of being displaced for people with more money who are now discovering that where they put you to be rid of you out of sight, out of thought, is now more valuable. If you look around Florida, you'll see a heck of a lot of um, things that um, libraries and public places that are right on the water that would not have been built today because now those views are too pricey, too highly desired, but the community would never stand for you to tear down a hospital or a library or something of importance to the community for your own personal interest. Now, I won't stick to that because just when you think you've seen everything, um, something new will happen. If these libraries get too old, I'm pretty sure they'll consider building them somewhere else and selling the land that the old one sits on. I'm sure of it because I go to one library that has a beautiful view. And I know for sure it wouldn't have been built today because that it certainly would be someone's multi-million dollar McMansion or a very expensive high-rise for sure and, and more likely a very expensive high-rise. So um, for those of you who are about to move to Florida, a lot of us have a joke, we're closing the door. We want anyone to come, but welcome to Florida. Welcome to the Sunshine State. Welcome to a traffic headache, because if you were moving to get away from all those things, everyone else did too, and now those problems that you're moving from are here. I'm surprised we don't have more of a pollution problem, but um, because this this entire state is not one for public transportation, number one. And um, that's another show as well. But um, this is the first part of a series. I'm throwing things out here. If you guys would like to um, email me with some questions or anything you want me to visit, 
Um, the next podcast actually will be connected probably to my YouTube because not only will I be visiting these restaurants, I'll be doing a review on them, just a day and exploring. It might it's probably going to be a weekend thing. Um, like I said, I used to go to St. Pete a lot. Don't go too much now just because the traffic in getting there is a horrible, horrible mess. It used to be a day trip for me. But to be honest, when you have to fight traffic, even if you go in the morning and to go through Tampa traffic, the um, the bridge, the Skyway Bridge used to be free. As a matter of fact, I remember when it was free. Now it's a toll. You got to pay a dollar to get across it. Uh, it may even be more. Last time I went across it, it was a dollar. And um, I was, when I first started going back over that way, I was just bummed because I'm like, I didn't even used to pay. You got to pay, go through Alligator Alley now, too. Um, having lived in Sarasota and having lived in Tampa, those areas are very familiar to me. And um, burning up gas on the highway and sitting in traffic and then paying tolls is not a fun thing. So, whereas St. Pete used to be a day trip, now it's just. It might as well just be a weekend trip for me because I'd rather get there, get into a hotel, and then go there, spend the day, and have to drive through horrible traffic to get home. Not going to happen. It's a weekend trip. And all the things I brought up, I'm going to try to answer some of these questions and work it out and find some newcomers to the area and find some old school people who've lived there, um, hopefully lifelong residents, natives, and see what it's all about. Um, and I'm also hoping that um, there was a bookstore. And I'm not sure, was it in Tampa or St. Pete? I'm pretty sure it was in St. Pete that I used to go to. It was a little women's own bookstore, and it closed. And um, I used to go over just to put a dime in that business and um, to in, enjoy and have a meal. And um, I do that for mom-and-pop restaurants. And that's the thing. I'm not going to any big brand-name places when I get there. <laughs> I'm definitely going for the local flair. So I want you to come along with me. This is a topic that I talk about. I talk about race and culture and food, honestly, because I honestly believe that if we all eat, we all have something in common, something to share, a, a, a starting point to sit at the table and find the goodness in each other. My friends, I wish you well. I wish you blessings. I wish you peace. Until the next time, take care.